Welcome to the Refuge Recovery Podcast. Refuge Recovery is a Buddhist-oriented path to recovery from addictions. For more information, please visit us at refugerecovery.org. All right, sorry to get started late. I'm uh, traveling. I'm in North Carolina getting ready for the Refuge Recovery Retreat that's starting here tomorrow. So I'm uh, sitting somewhere in the mountains, kind of cool up here, North Carolina, Smoky Mountains, Blue Ridge, Smoky, I don't know, something. Welcome to the first Thursday, Refuge Recovery. Everybody, anybody who's here for the first time, just a reminder, this is not a refuge recovery meeting. This is an offering um, from World Services by me, Noah uh, Levine, uh, as a teacher-led course that I do once a month where I do a meditation and then uh, have a topic and some some Q&A with you. Very different than a peer-led refuge recovery meeting where there is no crosstalk or Q&A or sort of authority in it. So if you're new, welcome. And if you were looking for a refuge meeting, feel free to join us and stay here for this, but also find a refuge meeting and you'll see that it's peer-led and different than, than what I'm doing here. Let's go ahead and jump in to a period of meditation together. I'll give some instructions and then um, we'll have some discussion after the sitting period. But let's start with a period of meditation, find a way to sit that's upright, relaxed. Taking a moment to settle into your posture. Allowing our eyes to be closed so that we can give our full attention inward. Taking a moment to relax any unnecessary tension in the body, softening, releasing. Relaxing in this way is letting go of resisting. It's an act of acceptance and compassion for what's happening right now, rather than resisting any of the sensations or thoughts or feelings, just soften into your body. Releasing the jaw, the belly, shoulders, and establishing an inner attitude of friendliness, perhaps saying to yourself the loving kindness phrase, may I be at ease. with my mind, with my body.
an attitude of loving kindness, of friendliness. That's the foundation for our practice of mindfulness, bringing present time, non-judgmental, kind awareness to our moment-to-moment experience of the body sitting, breathing, Not trying to stop your mind, but trying to ignore your mind in the beginning. Let the thoughts be in the background. Bring your attention to the breath. Breathing in, know that you're breathing in. Breathing out, know that you're breathing out. Feel the sensations that the breath creates. Let that be the focus of awareness. Over and over, reconnecting with the sensations of the breath, disengaging from the thinking mind, coming back to the feeling body, letting go of the past, all our memories, letting go of the future, all our hopes and plans. landing in the present again and again.
And you can choose to stay with the breath as the primary object of mindfulness. And you can begin to open to the whole body sensations in your hands and feet and arms and legs, trunk of the body, front and back. The sense doors of hearing and seeing, smelling and tasting. This whole human experience, all of these ways of knowing our inner life and processing the information of what we're seeing and hearing, smelling and tasting, thinking about, feeling. Ultimately, mindfulness, present time, awareness doesn't exclude anything that's happening here and now. No such thing as a distraction from the present because whatever's happening is just part of hearing or seeing or smelling or tasting or even the thoughts about the past and future. They're also just happening now, just thoughts about the future, thoughts about the past. Arising, being known by consciousness, consciousness in the present. Mindfulness reveals the impermanent nature of all of our experience. So each breath is a beginning, middle, end. Each thought arises and passes. Every emotion, every sensation, every sense, impression, the eye, ear, nose, tongue, appears, sustains, and fades. The more we directly understand impermanence through our mindfulness meditation, the more we start to see how we create so much of our own suffering by clinging to impermanence experience. Becoming attached, becoming addicted, compulsively trying to satisfy our cravings for impermanent pleasures. We see how much of our suffering we create by trying to avoid the impermanent pain, 
the unpleasant, the difficult. Painful experiences of thoughts and feelings, memories and fears that are so unpleasant. Rather than allowing them to be impermanent, we meet them with resistance, aversion, anger, resentment. Mindfulness teaches us to let go. Mindfulness teaches us to tolerate the unpleasant as it arises and passes. Beginning to meet it with mercy and compassion.
Coming back to the phrase that we began with, the loving kindness towards yourself, may I be at ease with this mind that craves and compares and judges, fears, with this mind that also has the ability to be trained in mindfulness and compassion. And I learned to be at ease in this body, subject to sickness and aging and death and permanence itself. I accept this body just as it is. May I be at ease in this world with the 10,000 different kinds of sorrow, ignorance and confusion running rampant. And the 10,000 different kinds of joy love and connection and healing and recovery that's happening. As we learn to become mindful of the impermanent nature of all things and respond more wisely to the joys and sorrows of existence of recovery, of life. When you're ready, you can Add seeing to your mindfulness, moving, stretching, whatever feels good. I don't have a um, an agenda for a topic tonight. I feel uh, open to maybe doing some Q&A if you want to reflect on what's important to you about your practice and refuge recovery, your meditation, your uh, precepts, your... Um, any, any questions that you have about, about meditation? Um, hopefully I'm a good resource to help, help support and, and clarify some stuff if there's any questions. Um, I'll offer a couple of, of brief, hopefully brief, um, reflections on uh, being uh here traveling today september 1st from uh, yeah, i got up early 4 a.m in california and rode the motorcycle to the airport and jumped on an airplane and uh, traveled all day and then arriving in, in north carolina and hadn't really thought about it much until i was having uh, dinner with um, some of the people organizing the retreat that starts tomorrow and some other recovery friends and and it occurred to me, the woman next to me was talking about how she has been sober for 44 years since 1978. <laughs> and I was like, in my mind, I was like, damn, <laughs> that's a long fucking time. And then I realized, oh, I've been sober for just one decade less than that. And 
technically today, September 1st, is the anniversary of uh, when I got sober 34 years ago and have stayed sober for 34 years. I'm like, damn, that's a long fucking time. <laughs> Not, uh, you know, have a drink or get loaded or, um, and to, you know, continue to be engaged in this process that recovery is. Recovery is such a process of uh, establishing and maintaining abstinence, but then this work that we're doing, the meditation and how it changes. You know, in, in some ways, 34 years ago, when I was sitting in jail and uh, got this meditation instruction, not that different than what we did tonight. 34 years later, I'm kind of doing the same practice that I started with when I was locked up 34 years ago. Be here, mindful of the breath. Now, the nuances and subtleties and my own sort of intimacy with, with my mind and with the truth of impermanence and has changed drastically. But the technique that we are using as, you know, kind of our, the foundation, the core uh, of, of the, the meditative intervention of refuge recovery, which is mindfulness, present time awareness, starting with the breath, the body, the feeling tones, the mind states and what's true about our, our experience moment to moment. And what a um, massive and really radical transformation has happened in my life and in my inner life over the uh, decades of, of meditation practice of recovery. And it's not just meditate, you know, we, recovery is this term that means different things to different people. But to me, it means, meditation practice, it means service, it means uh, inventories and making amends, it means um, co community, participation in community, uh, staying connected with other recovering people and being of service and, and receiving service, you know, that kind of thing that we're doing in Refuge where yeah, you should be mentoring some people, but also you should have a mentor and you should also try to have some peers and all of these different levels of connections that we develop in what we call Sangha. So it's not just one thing, it's not just our meditation, it's also our renunciation. And it's not just our renunciation, it's also how much service, generosity, uh, giving are we doing with our life's energy. And it's not just, you know, it's like there's so many also showing up and being that person that's showing up to the meeting, even if you don't have a service commitment, even if you're not sharing all of the time, you know, asked to lead, any of that stuff, just being that fixture. If I go to that meeting, I'm going to see her. I'm going to see him all these years later. I'm going to see these people um, and they're the service of that continuity. That's a, I think, a very common and an unfortunate thing where people, when they get what they need from, <laughs> like, oh, you know, I don't go to that meeting anymore. I outgrew it or I don't do that and I don't go to that group anymore. And it's like, well, you were going there for you? What about all the other people? What about going there to be of service? What about going there just to be there to support the new people that are coming in? Um, anyways, I said I wanted to be brief and, and uh, I did and, and I do wanna be brief. So uh, I wanna open it. To what's on your mind? Any questions, any ways that I can be of service to, to you? Uh, if you have a question, you can raise your hand in the reactions tab. Uh, there's a raise hand thing there at the bottom of your Zoom screen. And uh, I'll call on you and we can, uh, we can talk about it. Chris, go ahead. You know what? Um, I think you had mentioned maybe in, in the last of these sessions, I listened to it on Spotify, and you had mentioned something about having published 
some literature around medications while in recovery. I don't know if I heard that right or not, but I'm in a situation now where I'm, I might get on an SSRI and I'm concerned about that interfering with the progress that I'm making in, in my meditation practice and just in my recovery overall. So I didn't know if you had any thoughts on that. Um, there is a pamphlet that we, it's on the website. I think it's under pamphlets, um, something like that. If you look under, I don't know, I'd have to pull up the website to find what tab it's under, but it is on there. And, um, you know, what it says is that uh, we are not doctors and we are not going to, uh, as a program uh, in any way land uh, in any kind of strong views about uh, people, whether or not they use doctor prescribed, physician prescribed medication. And that that's entirely up to uh, each individual and that everyone is welcome in refuge recovery, medication, not medication, um, including like, um, you know, buprenorphine, suboxone, uh, you know, opiate replacements or anabuse alcoholics who are, are, you know, taking, you know, uh, the anabuse medication or SS, you know, SSRIs, any, any legally prescribed <laughs> medication um, by a physician, uh, you're, you know, that's, that's between you and your doctor. There is a little piece in there that says, you know, of course, just because it's prescribed by a doctor doesn't mean that you're not abusing it and addicted to it. You know, there's a lot of, of people that come into recovery that are like, yeah, my doctor was giving me, you know, buckets full of Oxycontin and it was all prescribed. <laughs> and uh, it doesn't mean that you're not an addict just because it's prescribed. This doesn't mean that it's not a problem in your life just because it's prescribed. But um that's not your question. And your question is about, you know, some uh, SSRI that, that, you know, to alleviate some depression and, and um, you have to find your way with that. It, it, it may help your meditation practice, you know, it might get you out of bed. Uh, and then hopefully when it gets you out of bed, if, if you have that kind of debilitating depression, or even if it's not that debilitating, if it gives you a bit more uh, space, it might, you might find that actually now I can meditate in a way that I couldn't when I was really in the, the, the depression. And many people find that. And then many, many people find that once they utilize um, antidepressant or something like that, and then it gets to a place where they're coming to meetings, they're doing their meditation, they're doing their inventories, they're being of service, and they're doing all of these other things, then they find, some people find, I don't need it as much anymore. Some people find I need to stay on it. So you have to find your own way with that. That's really helpful. Thank you. Welcome. And it looks like um, there's a link uh, in the chat, Michelle posted to the RR and prescription medication policy pamphlet. Awesome. Thank you for that, guys. Appreciate it. Don't be shy, guys. It's my birthday. Ask me stupid questions. Just kidding. There's no such thing as a stupid question. All questions are good questions. Uh, CC. Hey, Noah. Happy uh, birthday. <laughs> um, so a question I have, because I'm still relatively young in my meditation practice, um, there are times when I'm meditating, not doing guided meditation, but just silent meditation, that sometimes it gets really, really intense so intense that I'm kind of like, I should move or just stop or, you know, and I just wanted to hear from you, like, 
you know, what your thoughts are on that and what kind of suggestions you might have. Um, have you been mostly moving when it gets like that or have you been sitting through it? I, I sit through it and I'm just like, so what's, I mean, on, you, what's on the, that's, that, that's why I was pausing. Like what's on the other side of the really intense experience, then what happens? Well, usually what I do is I try, you know, it's interesting. I kind of set a timer, like I'm aiming for trying to sit for 30 minutes or 40 minutes and and I, I'm a little time blind, so I don't always know how far along I am. So I'm like, maybe I just need to sit through this, you know, and let it pass, you know? And right. sometimes I'll be pleasantly surprised and I'm almost at the end. My timer's just about to go off. And then other times it's like, oh my God, I don't know if I can sit still for the rest of this. And then sometimes I will move, you know? And usually as soon as I move, even if I don't open my eyes, that helps. I'm of first, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm of the mind. It depends on where people are at in their meditation practice. I think it's quite important to be uh, gentle with ourselves and not turn meditation into some kind of like competition or sort of macho endeavor to sit still no matter what kind of to be gentle and to kind of be like, yeah, I'm going to set the alarm and I'm going to try to sit for 30 minutes. And, you know, if I fidget a little bit, like just be real, like accepting of ourselves, no big deal. At some point you will get to the place where, uh, you know, over the years of your meditation, where you'll be able to sit through whatever happens, however intense it is. And so, so we do have to take that sort of resolve at some point in our, an interest, turning the interest towards like, oh, wow, this is really, really painful. Let me turn my attention towards this painful sensation or emotion or, you know, prickly, stabbing, icy, cutting sensation in my knee, you know, whatever. And rather than moving away from it, just, you know, turning towards it and being with it. Now, that's not the right thing to do if you're brand new. If you're brand new, it's really painful. Don't scare yourself off of the cushion. Move your posture. No big deal. And that you, but eventually you'll find you'll get to the place where you can just sit with anything that comes up. And there's so much freedom in getting to that place that you have become tolerant towards pain, interested, accepting. Not that you like pain. You just have learned meditation will teach us how to tolerate it, how to have some compassion for it how to not hate it and make it worse. So it's so worth developing that, you know, and it, it'll, for most people, it takes years of meditation practice to really be able to sit with it without aversion, right? And it sounds like you're on your way towards that. You're doing that. Um, but maybe that interest piece. And I don't know how much you're doing um, around second foundation. So you make that intense, usually, usually the intense is intensely unpleasant, not often is a, like, oh, this is way too pleasurable. I'm meditating and it's so intensely pleasurable. <laughs> it's like, no, this fucking hurts physically or emotionally maybe, or just the loud mind so intense sometimes. But taking that second foundation of mindfulness and saying like, oh, wow, this is really unpleasant thoughts. These are really unpleasant sensations. And just naming it and, you know, and breathing with it and using the tools of softening into it. Sometimes even going to that replacing practice like we were doing tonight. May I be at ease with this? Even if the answer is no, I can't be at ease with this yet. Just inclining the heart towards that kind of kindness. May I be at ease with this pain. May I remember the impermanent nature of this stabbing, slicing, burning sensation. <laughs> and then that's why I asked what happens because so often if we don't move during meditation, 
a minute or two later, it goes away all by itself. What, you know, a minute ago felt like I can't tolerate this, just softening into it, relaxing around it, meeting it with as much kindness as we can. And then a couple of minutes later, you're like, it's gone. I thought it was going to kill me and it's impermanent. So, you know, for you, Cece, it sounds like you're doing the right thing. Just keep sitting with it, no matter how intense it is. And, you know, to anybody else who's listening to this now or later on the recording, um, be gentle if you're new. If you need to shift away, if you need to readjust your posture, um, give yourself permission to do that in the beginning. And then at some point, say, I'm going to sit through this shit no matter what once you're ready to do that. I hope that's helpful. It is, thanks Noah. Thanks, good to see you. Good to see you. Jeff. Uh, hello Noah, hello everybody else. How's it going? So uh, I have a quick one for you Noah. It's, uh, I spend a lot of time behind the wheel for work. So driving and I'm wondering if there are any meditation techniques that you can use while you're driving or if that's too distracting? Um, great question. Good to see you, Jeff. Mindfulness, you know, we do this formal mindfulness of sitting and closing our eyes and going inward. Um, mindfulness is meant to be incorporated into all of our activities. So it just means present time awareness. So driving can easily become a practice of mindfulness and the effort of feeling your body in your chair, car seat, feeling your hands or at least one hand or a pinky or however you drive, right? On the wheel, your feet, the brake, gas pedal so that you can do first foundation just in awareness of your posture in the car and the contact points of uh, what you're touching and, and, and experiencing physically while driving the efforts to not let your mind wander how often when we're driving are we thinking about the future or the past how often in every aspect of our life are we not actually really present here we're thinking about the future or the past or hope or fear, worrying or... So while driving, keep bringing your attention back to hear, <laughs> seeing, hearing, feeling my body in the seat, paying attention, you know, eyes open, mindfulness of seeing the impermanent images that are coming past on the road. Bringing that present time mindfulness into your body, to your sense doors. And you can do this with the radio on or the podcast or whatever you're listening to. Or sometimes you could drive and turn the entertainment off and really say, this is just driving meditation. Mindfulness of driving and bringing that curiosity to it. What, you know, what, maybe you have that, I don't know if you have a commute where you go the same place every day, but at some point, you stop seeing the stuff, but when you bring mindfulness to it, like what can I notice today on my way to work or on my way home from work or that I usually just ignore, bringing that kind of fresh eyes, mindfulness to that experience of driving and to the surroundings that we're driving through. So you can bring that into, into that activity of driving. Um, you could also do some of the heart practices while driving, especially if your mind, like you're driving and you're resentful, <laughs> uh, any road rage is coming up, people are not driving right, not signaling, cutting you off, whatever, you can bring the phrases in while you're driving. I forgive you to this person in front of you as much as I can in this moment. I forgive you as much as I, or may you be happy, may you be at ease, may you be free. You can bring, uh, you know, the heart practice meditation phrases while you're driving. 
because you know it's not going to take you away from driving to just say I forgive you in your mind and your heart. These practices we do in a formal way with our eyes closed can also be done in this engaged incorporated way with our eyes open while driving or walking or when the Buddha teaches the meditation instruction, he uh, ends it with this refrain that says, this uh, should be done uh, whether sitting, standing, walking, or lying down. And then there's this uh, section where he says, uh, bringing this kind of awareness to all of the activities of our life. Nothing is outside of our mindful awareness whether you're driving or going to the bathroom, whether you're showering or typing an email, you can bring this kind of present time awareness to whatever it is that you're doing. Hope that's helpful, Jeff. Michelle. Happy birthday, boss. Uh, so I've been kind of having this issue lately and I was talking to somebody else that has this issue and my mentees have had this issue. And that is, I go through these periods of letting this person in the door. I go through these periods of like resistance. Like I do not want to fucking sit. Like, I just don't want to do it. And like, I know for me, if I'm like, no, you're going to go do it. Then I'm going to push back even farther, even against myself. Do you have any suggestions on how to trick myself, maybe? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't have really good um, to trick ourselves. Yeah. Go into a meeting, you know, kind of like, well, I'm not going to, you know, do my daily practice but maybe there's a negotiation of like, but I'll go to a meeting. And if I go to a meeting, then I'll meditate at the meeting. Right. Or um, I don't know, there is something, to, you know, sometimes to giving ourselves some rewards or some, you know, uh, I had heard you maybe have, I don't know if you've ever heard me say this before, Michelle, but one point I was listening to some something, some neuroscience thing about motivation, you know, and how do we get ourselves to do shit we don't really want to do. <laughs> and uh, this one study was saying, um, it's really helpful if people have skin in the game, if there's like something to lose oh. uh, that actually even more than kind of positive reinforcement, um, is like, if there's a consequence, if, if you commit to something and then you don't do it. So what this person was saying was that, uh, for instance, you know, like if money, if, if money is important to you, which it is to most of us a necessity and on some level important to most of us. They said, uh, if you really aren't doing something that you want to do and you can't get motivated and they said, uh, write a check to an organization that you despise and, and, and make that commitment to yourself of saying like, if I don't follow through on what I'm you know, wanting to follow through on, then I'll send this check to the enemy. Because it's too easy if you're like, you know, there's no skin in the game if you're like, oh, I'll give it to these, you know, people that I like. It's if I don't follow through, I'll support this terrible, malicious, you know, malignant, you know, whatever, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, huh. yeah, I mean, it's going a little far, you know. So you could try that if you want, write a check. Yeah, that might be an interesting motivation to not, to meditate. I'd be like, I'm not supporting that person. Yeah, I, yeah. I have to meditate because I can't support that organization or whatever it is. No, like um, that's going a little far probably for most of us. And for most addicts, it won't even fucking work, right? Because people just be like, well, whatever. I'm not going to send the check anyways. That was, fuck, that was a stupid practice. Fuck Noah. That was dumb advice, right? Um, more just sort of like gentleness and, and ongoing perseverance and 
not giving yourself a hard time. Like if sometimes you're feeling a bit resistant, maybe, you know, honoring the resistance and doing some other practices. And like, I'm not really sitting right now, but I'm doing more walking practice or I'm doing more yoga practice or I'm doing more, you know, uh, or I'm only doing five minutes instead of 30 minutes or so kind of meeting yourself where you're at, there's something to that too. Um, as long as it doesn't become months and years of slacking off. If it's just like, you know, I'm having a kind of slow, slow week with my practice, give yourself a break about it. Right on. Yeah. And my resistance started when I started committing to do Tonglen every day. And that's kind of a, a push for me. And so I kind of almost think that I need to take a break from it for a little bit and do something else too. Yeah, do way better to do a different practice than to do no practice. Yeah. You know, and put put Tonglen back in the every other day or in the once a week or, you know, rather than I have to push through and actually I'm not going to do it at all. Yeah. Right on. Thanks. Yeah. Scott. Happy birthday, Noah. Um, I have a question that relates to a mentee that I have who's a PhD, teaches uh, science at SF State. And my son was just accepted into the program there for GIS. And he learned that my son was accepted and he he reached out to him i also i i should say he's also uh relapsing right now and he's drinking a lot and um getting some really weird phone calls from him some really bizarre emails or uh not emails but uh texts so i've been i've been struggling with it um because i my I try to I try to like not communicate when someone's loaded, you know. And anyway, um, he wrote a he he offered my son an internship uh, to help him do some research. And my son um, came to me and said, "Dude, I know he's your mentee, and I I'm, I'm feeling weird that he's even talking to me. Like, what's up?" And and I said, "Well, you know, he's." I, I learned from him that he was doing, he was trying to do me a favor by giving my son an internship to do research. And when my son told me that he said, I'm not going to do it because I don't even, I don't even know what I'm interested in yet. I don't, I don't want to just dive into somebody else's ambitions. I want to learn what I want to do. He, um, he wrote to the guy and said, I'm sorry, I, I, I appreciate it, but no, um, get, get somebody else, you know. So this guy wrote my son this like scathing, mean, um, like completely abusive uh, text that just like totally crushed him, you know? And um, this was like, it's this morning at like 6.45 AM. And then he, then he wrote me a text that said, um, oh yeah, your son, you know, let me know that he's not going to be doing the internship and I'm cool with that. You know, it's, it's, uh, um, you know, I appreciate that he let me know that. So it was like this double whammy, right? So my son called and I, I guess like today I've been turning to my, my, you know, my community and reaching out and trying to get, you know, what's the kind thing to do here? I mean, uh, he just hurt my son, so I want to beat him down with a baseball bat. At the same time, um, he's my mentee, and I, I, I'm sad for him, and I know he's he's suffering, and I know he's crazy, um, lost, and um, I also know that um, I could I could call the department and end his job with with what I have. You know, it's like so I, I it's like I'm in this complete sort of ethical dilemma about the program, the fact that this all transpired and, you know, just questioning what you would recommend. Well, it sounds like a 
challenging position to be in. And, um, you know, it is the business that we're in when it comes to helping each other and helping addicts. And, um, you know, we're often going to find that there's some, some serious challenges, uh, especially if we've kind of let people into our lives and our children's lives and um, uh, in, in one way or another. Um, this is not an uncommon experience, I think, for, for people in recovery. I think you'll find others who have experienced similar uh, difficulties. So first of all, just normalizing it. It's one of the dangers of our peer-led thing right? Is that we're, our peer led thing is so good and we're here and we're trying to help each other. And, you know, people are going to relapse and misbehave and even misbehave when they are not relapsing. So that's also part of, you know, community. Um, my encouragement would be to look at your practice, your principles, look at your, you know, look at the eightfold path, look at what you're committed to not doing. Um, you know, when it comes to communication, when it comes to renunciation, when it comes to your own commitment to keeping your karma clean, all right, your actions, you know, so kind of whatever, I don't, I don't, I don't have any direct advice for you about how to handle it or whether to report the guy or not. I don't have any, uh, you know, advice around that, but just for us to look at the Dharma and be like, okay, what I know is that I'm uh, committed to being of service. I'm committed to trying not to create any more negative karma for myself, even if it feels uh, justified, you know, even it doesn't mean I'm not going to get angry at times at people or feel protective of my children or, uh, but I'm not, I don't want to behave in a way that's going to cause harm and, and create negativity, negative karma for me. Um, but I am uh, committed to being honest you know, the, the wise communication stuff that Buddhism offers us is, you know, are we communicating in a way that is honest, that is um, appropriately timed, um, and that is coming from some level of kindness, um, rather than I want to tell you the harsh truth in order to intentionally harm you or, you know, um, So looking at your principles and, you know, bringing in forgiveness. Um, I would, I would, my, my mind goes to both forgiveness and equanimity, you know, and around that protective thing that we can get into around our children or other people in our lives, um, where sometimes we feel like, well, I have to control and protect rather than what equanimity tells us, which is everyone has their own karma. And their happiness or unhappiness is going to depend on how they respond to the situation, not my wishes for them. You know, like, of course, you want your kid to have this really good experience in school and, you know, um, and he's having an adverse experience, right? He's got a, that happens to be a little bit personal to you because of your relationship with the person that's sending him the rude email, but uh, that equanimity that understands your kid has his own karma and can have his own response to this. You have your own karma and can have your own response to this. And your friend, your mentee uh, has his own karma. And, and that doesn't mean that it at times is not um, totally appropriate to report somebody or call the police or, you know, we don't wanna turn karma into this like complacency where we don't then take the appropriate actions with the appropriate authorities, <laughs> you know, sometimes that's the thing to do. Uh, we don't want to turn karma into like, you know, no need for structure. It's an internal structure, but then there does need to be some external structures and consequences at times for people. So I hope that's a little bit helpful, you know, like, you're, you're, you know, you've got this path of recovery and you have these five precepts and you have this, this eightfold path um, that gives you the guidance to help you make the decisions. And um, then, then, you know, you can consult 
people like me and you can consult your mentor and the other people in the Sangha that uh, support you. Um, it's been a tremendous help to do that today. I, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've come a long way in, in a short period of time just to kind of get to that point of um, trying to be there for him as if he's just someone who relapsed and didn't attack my son verbally. Yeah. You know? Like if it wasn't for that, I would be, wow, dude, you know, call me when you're ready to talk, you know, because, you know, maybe now isn't the time, but it's, hopefully you will be soon and, you know, otherwise it's going to create more harm for you, you know? Yeah. So that's kind of where I ended up. And I just was curious. I worry about others who he might harm mostly. Yeah. So, thank you. Yeah. Welcome. I think we can leave it there for tonight. We usually only do about an hour for this first Thursday. Um, happy to see everybody. I think I have a couple of announcements. Um, looks like there's an announcement Michelle posted in the chat and a link to if you'd like to donate. I'd like to let everybody know, and you can kind of share this in your meetings if you remember, that uh, Refuge Recovery World Services does need your support. Um, that there's been kind of a drop off in, in donations from the meetings. Make sure that, that you know, your meeting is you know, collecting donations and supporting world services. We don't bring enough money in to just kind of pay the basic you know, costs for Zoom and insurance and rent and, and uh, the employees that we have. Um, I'm actually in the process of trying to do some fundraising, uh, you know, both for our basic expenses and also to be able to provide some scholarships to people for retreats and stuff like that. So just know that your generosity is needed in order to support the infrastructure of, of the program. So please be, be generous and remind your meetings that, um, that making that Donna announcement is important and making sure that those donations do get sent to World Services is what allows us to continue to support this thing. So please remember that and know that. Uh, somebody recently was saying like, that they think that, uh, they thought that, that World Services didn't need it, that there was all of this money coming in. And um, it's actually really trickling in quite slowly, uh, not quite enough to even just sustain the organization, uh, much less grow it. So, so please know that. Um, there are a couple more refuge recovery retreats this year. There's this one that starts tomorrow, probably too late if you're not already coming. Uh, next, in two weeks on the 16th through 18th, there's a weekend refuge recovery retreat uh, in Massachusetts, Harvard, Massachusetts, about an hour outside of Boston. And that's just about sold out. There's only a couple spaces left. So if that was something you wanted to come to, uh, in Massachusetts in a couple of weeks, register right away, get one of those last couple spots. Uh, then there's a seven day retreat in Taos, New Mexico in November. And there's still a handful of spots left for that, but it will sell out soon. So if you're planning to come to that. Uh, and then next year, I'll have a whole bunch of retreat opportunities. And I'm gonna try to spread it out in some East Coast and some West Coast and some middle of the country and looking at some, um, uh, looking at trying to come up to Canada next year. And uh, I was actually talking uh, about possibly trying to do like a South America refuge recovery surf retreat. What do you think? Do meetings and be on a beach in Central America for those of you who want to do a kind of re recovery adventure. I'm trying to, to try to put that on the, the back, the, the books for next year. Um, I think that's it for announcements. That's all that's coming to mind. Good to see everybody. Uh, see you next month if you come back and join us. Many goodness that has accumulated any merit from our practice and discussion. Be shared outward with all suffering addicts. May each one of us heal. May each one of us recover. And together, may we create a positive change on this planet. Thank you. Refuge Recovery is freely offered. 
If you'd like to make a donation to support us, you may do so by following the link in the episode notes. We appreciate your generosity.